welcome, friends, to God and Comics. Uh, today, this is uh, just a short uh, God and Comics short to tide you over until the next full episode. And today, I'm going to be talking a little bit about the show Legion on FX, which is going to be back for its second season coming up here in February. And we have a special guest here to talk about that with me, and that is Pastor Hans Feeney. Hans Feeney is the pastor of River of Life Lutheran Church in Shanahan, Illinois. He also writes for The Federalist, and he's perhaps best known for his video series, Lutheran Satire, which I'm guessing that a number of you have probably seen at some point. So, uh, Hans, welcome to God and Comics. Thank you for having me. I'm trying to think about how to summarize this show. I feel like Legion is the comic book show that people have said for a long time that they wanted and no one is watching. That's sort of my feeling about it because it's it's super, you know, people have said for a long time, man, wouldn't it be great if something just like busted out of the conventions of the usual way that comics and superhero stuff is done and painted a really different kind of portrait. And this does that. I mean, it's super hard to even just describe in summation what this show is about. When I wrote my article, that was the, sort of the fun thing about writing it is I think I said something at the beginning, something along the lines of, I'm not even going to bother trying to explain the show because uh, it's just weird and I'm going to sound like a crazy person. So just watch it and then read the article and it'll make sense. It makes obviously more sense as it goes along, but it, in particular, the first episode, I talked to a few people who quit watching the show kind of midway through the first episode, which I could kind of understand because it really you couldn't really get any frame of reference for what was going on, and it was um, just kind of a sensory overload uh, type of experience. But if you stuck with it until the end, it was it was obviously a great playoff, and that's I think part of the part of the, the thing about the show that's so well done is the fact that it's so much of the show is built up around the conflict going on in this main character's head and so it's, it's almost as though a lot of the storytelling is just kind of right there you know beside his cerebellum or whatever that's the part of the brain that i know i'm sure there are other parts <laughs> um but just kind of you know, just sort of right there and uh, which makes for uh, incredibly interesting and unique and artistic storytelling but yeah certainly not the kind of typical um, typical approach where you're trying to draw in as large of an audience uh, as possible, and that, that, I think that ended up making it making it work very well. That's kind of one of the nice things about television these days is, I think, be, because there's not as much of an audience for anything, you're able to kind of grab niche audiences more so by you know by doing kind of that type of production, which is kind of nice. Yeah, this this is true. There's there's a place for it where there might not have been before. And Legion is kind of a, you know, this this is kind of, he's kind of a D-list figure if you're talking about sort of comic book characters, right? He's not like Superman or Batman or something like that everybody would know. He's pretty far down in the equation. I guess the, the way I would describe it is, I'm not, a, I'm not a comic book reader now. I don't have anything against it. I just haven't been into it in a long time. I was when I was a kid for a number of years. I had a paper out when I was a kid. And uh, so I was one of the only human beings my age who had money uh, and I spent it all on comic books uh, when I was a kid and I was, and I was very into the X-Men from oh let's say like 1990 to 94 somewhere you know, in, in that realm 
and I had never heard of him. So when this when the series came out, you know, there were kind of hints in the trailer that this had some sort of connection with the X Men. But it wasn't until I did a little bit of research into the show before watching it that um, that I realized yeah, he was he was a character in that universe, but still very much a kind of fairly far down the list of, of notable characters. Well, and he's he's usually portrayed as a villain uh, when he does pop up in comics, although as a sort of sympathetic villain. Even the name itself, Legion, is kind of hinting at some of what's going on with him, that he has all of this these sort of psychological issues. And so it's it's actually an interesting concept in a world where you have people that have mutated to have these various powers. What happens if you have a guy who has incredibly strong mental powers, as this guy does, and uh, has some kind of incredibly strong form of mental illness? So that's sort of the comic book idea. But then you get the show. The show is kind of playing with that a little bit. Part of why it's, it's as you said, it's hard to sort of get in, and especially that first episode, which I think was like an hour and a half or two hours long or something, is because uh, he's an unreliable narrator, and you dropped right into the middle of his brain and his perception. And so, uh, you know, nothing really completely makes sense uh, because nothing makes sense to him but you know uh, that actually becomes part of the charm of the show if you can kind of hold on to it and go with it Um, but you talked and you know you already referenced the article you wrote for the Federalist about uh, the show and and in that article you said that one of the greatest things about this show was was how it deals with with villains yeah, well, so in the article, I, I have this thesis that's, I'm sure someone else has had this idea uh, before, but that basically in, in all forms of storytelling, there are really only two kinds of villains. There's the devil and there's what the devil makes of man. And, um, and there are great stories to be told with, with each kind of, of those villains. But yeah, I mean, you have, you know, you have great examples of this, like, you know, like Iago Othello and Anton Chigurh, I think is how you pronounce his name from the movie No Country for Old Men, where you have these characters that are just sort of the embodiment of pure evil who come into a story and don't really seem to have any motivation other than the desire to bring about destruction and death. I mean, the Joker is very much this way in, in the, the Dark Knight, where you know they sort of slightly tease or hint at a backstory, you know, in a couple spots, but it just doesn't. That's sort of, the, I think, one of the reasons it's such an effective character is it doesn't matter who he is or where he comes from. He doesn't have a consistent backstory. It's all kind of part of, um, you know, like when he's in the two different times, he's explaining how he got his scars. Where So it's just this sort of pure sense of mayhem. And as this figure, you know, as, as Alfred describes, who just wants, some men just want to watch the world burn. Yeah, and then you have the kind of storytelling where you have a villain who is, this is what the devil has made of man. This is oftentimes where you get the kind of more sympathetic villain character where you get the sort of backstory. We understand why he's trying to do, you know, what he's trying to do. We understand what his motivation is, why he has this hatred towards the hero or whatever it might be. And the great thing about Legion is that it, it kind of tells both of those stories, but the, the main villain is very much this embodiment of evil but you don't really know that until several episodes into the show because you're trying it, it seems throughout um, the first several episodes of the show 
that the villain is just the brokenness of, of David's mind. So is he is he this one who's going to be corrupted by this kind of unknown force within his mind or this kind of this brokenness of his mind? And then it's uh, several episodes in where you figure out uh, the identity of the character. So if I'll just give spoiler alerts, that, that's kind of the nice thing about talking about this show is that you don't have to feel guilty about giving spoiler alerts because no one's, it's just that the show is so weird and difficult to explain that, right. you know, if you're this far into the podcast, <laughs> you know, you trust that you put the effort in. But so it's yeah, around I think the maybe somewhere around the sixth episode of the show that you out of eight episodes or so um, that you learn the the official identity of the of the villain is Shadow King, who has been manifesting in David's consciousness uh, in a number of ways, and the chief among those is this. Um, character named Lenny, who's, who's played uh, exceptionally well by uh, Aubrey Plaza, who most people probably know from Parks and Recreation. And so it's this, um, yeah, this sort of parasitic, uh, psychic entity that's infested David's mind that was an, that's an enemy of um, Charles Xavier, who's David's father. He's not referenced by name in the show, my guess is, because they're, pro- they're probably still figuring out legally how they're going to work work all of that into the um, to the future seasons of, of Legion, hopefully. Right. And um, so that uh, so the the Shadow King um, had this conflict with Xavier. Xavier had this son that he was trying to hide from him. The Shadow King finds him and it basically infects his mind, and then discovers these these um, profoundly strong powers that David has that that he's able to control to bring mayhem into the world. And so it's this kind of great combination of both both of those um, enemy archetypes, where you have the, the being that is pure evil, but the way he manifests his evil is by actually turning the hero into a villain and by making that character into that sort of second uh, archetype of, um, of villain. So it's a really kind of interesting way of, of blending stories. It's actually really kind of similar to, uh, so the guy who, who developed um, Legion, Noah Hawley, I think that's how you pronounce his last name, is the same guy who is their showrunner for the show Fargo. And um, it's very similar to kind of the, how he dealt with that on, the first season of Fargo, and I think as well, this third season of the show, in quite a few ways too. So, but in particular, for those who have seen the first season of of Fargo, the Billy Bob Thornton character is just this character of pure malevolence who comes out of nowhere and just simply wants to bring about death and destruction. And then you have uh, you know, a couple other characters along, in particular, the character um, played by uh, the Hobbit. Whatever. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, I was blanking on his name there for a second. Um, you know, and, and how that corruption is going gonna, is gonna to work with him. So it's a very interesting uh, kind of storytelling device and works uh, works really well in the show. I, and I think one of the things that, that works so well about it is, and I talk about this in the article as well, that I think one of the problems with a lot of adaptation of, of comics is the villains are so big and the stakes are so huge that they're just not relatable. You know, and the, mm-hmm. the whole thing is, is that what you know in a story you want to put your you want to put yourself in the shoes of the hero, and so if the villain wants to destroy the world, okay, I mean, but you know, like that's you can't. There's no kind of connection with that, you know, and it's hard for you to kind of put yourself in the in the shoes of the hero when you can't even remotely connect with that type of conflict. But when the when what the villain wants to do is he wants to overtake the hero. And 
turn him into a hollow shell of himself and use him as the vehicle for bringing about destruction in the world. I mean, that's, you know, that's what the devil is and seeks to be in the life of the Christian, you know, for most, for, for as Christians, our struggle with the devil is not that, not so much that we're afraid that he's going to bring about, you know, a nuclear holocaust or things of this nature, but that the devil is going to just simply take us away from who we want to be and overpower us with temptation and, and cause us to hurt the people that we love and, and that matter to us. And that, you know, despite all the mutant elements of the plot and all of the, um, you know, all of the powers and things of that nature, that's really kind of the core conflict of the story, which is incredibly relatable. And it's what makes the villain so terrifying and, and compelling at the same time. It's, it is very hard when you have villains who want to just blow everything up and there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to it to connect with it we just did a show um, not long ago about the new justice league film and that's essentially the bad guy in the new justice league film he wants to get these boxes together so he can destroy everything for i don't know for some reason right who knows but the idea of ruining one person <laughs> Um, And this sort of insatiable desire to control, which seems to be really, that's Lenny, really, right? Like, it's this insatiable desire to control. Right, Um, yeah. And, yeah, so, yeah, I mean, certainly there's this kind of, you kind of get some dialogue, I think, in there towards the later bits about how basically, oh, you know, together we could, you know, imagine what we could do to the world. And Lenny has this great speech about basically how together, you know, with my malevolence and your powers, we could essentially you know, become God or give God a run for his money or something like that. I forget the exact quote. But yeah, but but at the same time, it still is, it's still limited in its scope. It's, I mean, so there's the power to destroy the world, but it's ultimately just kind of more constrained towards uh, towards the characters involved. Yeah, and that's much more, just much more compelling storytelling than, you know, than someone's going to destroy the world. That's the thing that's always sort of funny to me about the Avengers has that, and that's kind of the case, you know, that's the case in most superhero movies is uh, there's a guy who's going to destroy the world, and he gets kind of close, but he doesn't. But the funny thing always about that is, like, the vast majority of the people in the world aren't in the city that's about to get blown up or to be, like, you know, to right, be the right. person of everything. So you're, so you're kind of going, like, you know, like, for most people in the world, they're going, hey, did you hear the world? almost exploded but then the guy <laughs> saved us again like oh man that's like the 14th time this year uh, right. I still haven't seen it yet so right. thanks random you know superheroes in another city uh, so yeah there's there's definitely something where you you as a as an audience member are is, you're able to connect to the story much more when the stakes are lower yeah. actually I think this is why the greatest film villain ever is Hans uh, Gruber from or from is that right? right from Die Hard because yes. there you have a guy who is pretending to be the megalomaniac who wants to blow everything up when really he just wants a whole bunch of money and you yeah. go okay I totally get that that guy is like conniving I can understand where he's uh, where he's coming from yeah that's one of one of my favorite movie lines of all time is um, when, I think it's uh, when Holly Gennaro so the wife of you know, Bruce Willis's wife in the film played, I think, by Bonnie Bedelia or something like that. Right. She, she says to him, she says, you're nothing but a, co- but a common thief. And he looks at her and he says, I am an exceptional thief. <laughs> and it's just such a, such a perfect, I mean, it's just such a great villain line. And, that, and that's, I think, one of the things, kind of going back to Legion, that is great about the show is, you know, in, mo- in most superhero movies, most comic, comic book adaptations, the villain is just sort of a foil for the superhero. He's just there 
so he can show off his powers, you know, so he can find the strength to summon some new power, you know, that he hasn't had before or something of that nature. And you don't, you don't care that he's gone after he's gone. You know, and really kind of some of the only exceptions that you find where you want the guy to come back are, you know, a character like Magneto in the X-Men films, you know. And, and obviously Hans Gruber is a great example of that. So, of course, yeah, he's got to die at the end of the movie. But, oh, man, wouldn't that, you know, wouldn't that be great if you could have that guy continually coming back because he's such a fascinating, fun character. And that's, and that's very much the case in, in Legion where, you know, it doesn't seem like it's a show that's going to be built up around, you know, a different enemy every season, you know, like some of the other superhero shows on, on Netflix, for example, some of the other Marvel shows. But, yeah, very much um, that this is a character who's essential to the, to the conflict of the show and where, the, at least as far as I can see, the show doesn't have nearly as much uh, of, a, of a focus without it. And that, I think, is, is certainly the measure of a good villain when he's just as essential to the heart of the story as the hero is. I'm curious what you think, um, you know, as we're talking about all this, it's also occurring to me that the show's great strength in that is also, in some ways, uh, it's, it's weakness, too, because the, the supporting cast is sometimes hard to figure out exactly where to plug them into this struggle, since it is a very internal struggle. But I do think the character of, of Sid is very interesting. Sid is, is yeah. his girlfriend whose mutant power is that if she touches somebody, she switches bodies with them for a, for a temporary period of time. And basically, this makes her very similar to a character like Rogue from the X-Men, yeah. where the issue for her is that she can never really have intimacy because she can never really touch anyone. But I think in some ways they actually have a better in on that with her than they do with, with Rogue where they're playing with all these ideas about the mind and how the mind works and, you know, what can that kind of connection really create and, and not create. And, uh, of course, there are all these sort of Gnostic things that come up with that, too. I mean, the very idea of switching bodies with somebody is a little, right. bit, a little bit Gnostic. So I, what, do you, what do you think of her? Yeah, well, I thought she was a really interesting character, and, it was, um, and that was another thing I thought about the show that, that worked very well is that the conflict is, you know, is the Shadow King going to overpower uh, David in such a way where he actually ends up, you know, destroying the people that he loves? And that's so much of the of the focus of the show is on him discover, you know, really discovering who he is and finding his own identity in his in his love for this woman, you know. And yeah, and then that, that, to another kind of another interesting theme is this. You know, the fact that they can't touch each other, but when they're in, when he's able to have these kind of projections of his mind and there, you know, there's a sense in which they're able to belong to each other and, and have a physical relationship in there. And okay, well, then to what extent is that actually real? Uh, especially when, when being within his mind is sort of the source of all poison. And it was, yeah, that I thought was, was done uh, very well and certainly I think yeah a bit more effectively than you got you know in, in the X-Men movies you know for example which just sort of seems to be and that's I think kind of the nice thing about it is that they did actually have they, they were able to find some way in which they, these two could actually connect you know as opposed to in, in the yeah the X-Men films which is just the kind of standard oh Rogue loves a boy can't kiss the boy so you know you know the, the end that's the, you know that's sort of the uh the core of the, of the struggle right there. So, um, uh, yeah, no, I thought that was, that was done, uh, that was done very well. And, 
yeah, in a lot of ways, I think you could even make the argument that Sid is actually the real hero of the show, um, since so much of the show is about her kind of self-sacrificial love for, for David and trying to pull him away from this kind of monster within him. Yeah. Uh, and any last thoughts on this uh, and or anything that you want to plug to our listeners? I don't have anything to, to plug right now, but I, no, I, am, I am certainly excited about the uh, second season of the show. I look forward to, uh, forward to that. It ended on a bit of a cliffhanger. So, um, so hopefully, you know, the, the, the follow-up seasons on Fargo, which granted is, is an anthology series, so it's a little bit different, have been, been I think, just as great as the first, uh, first season. So hopefully the show won't be, won't be a letdown. That's always kind of the, the sort of the weird thing about um, TV nowadays is that, you know, there's so many TV shows that start off strong, become hits, and then they just get, you know, stretched beyond what you really should have made of it. That was that was certainly my fear with Stranger Things, the second season, uh, as I think I was repeatedly saying to, my, saying to myself, like, please don't Matrix Reloaded us. <laughs> you know, please don't claim that this was really, you know, a, a four-season show in your mind when all you really had, you know, the only story you had to tell was one season or whatever. So, so hopefully the, the second season will be, um, will be just as great. So I'm certainly looking forward to it. Well, we, sh- we shall see. And uh, the first season does have that difficult bar of entry with that first episode. But the good news is it's only eight episodes total. So uh, do yourself a favor. Take a deep dive into it. And uh, and then come back and and watch season two with us, and then you can tell us uh, tell us what you think. And uh, in the meantime, definitely hit us up on GodinComics.com and and on social media, and uh, we'd be happy to interact with you there. Pastor Hans Feeney, thanks for being on the show. My pleasure. And we'll see you all next time. <laughs>